This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, we after BoucherCon, we, we did two Hack the Craft episodes, so we've had no chit-chat since then. I want to know how was BoucherCon? BoucherCon was fun. Um, it was the first time I wasn't able to get a room on site. And so it meant a lot of walking or getting, you know, having to plan a lot more, like, you know, where you need to be by what time and hopefully not be drenched with sweat by the time you get there. <laughs> Those types of planning mm-hmm. things. Um, I hadn't planned to go originally. And um, then my my, the publishing professionals told me, no, we're going to be getting pretty close to publication date. You should probably show up. So that's why I made that switch. And it was just really, it's amazing how buoyed I get going to those things. I mean, they're exhausting, but to be able to speak with other authors and hear their stories of what they're experiencing, and you you don't feel so alone in all of this. Mm-hmm. And because it's very isolating as you write, I mean, yes, I have fans and listeners and readers, and there's always some interaction somewhere, but it's different. It's even different with my own family who are very supportive of what I do because they're not experiencing it. They get everything secondhand. They don't know what it's like to actually walk in those shoes. And so to actually have those discussions with those who are in the same boat, who deal with the same things you do, it feels not so isolating and it's, it's uplifting and it's actually great for creativity. (laughs) Was there a theme or a big takeaway that you, you brought home from BoucherCon? Well, you know, I've been going to these conferences so long now that I don't really fully um, immerse myself in all the panels and all of that. I really go for the networking and the connections and to meet fans and stuff. So if there was a theme, I cluelessly missed it. <laughs> so and BoucherCon is the is the big fan show, right? It is. But speaking of which, uh, shortly after I got back, there was a um, preview here in Dallas where those who are wanted to be volunteers for next year could come see the hotel, see what was being planned, get a get an idea of what's coming next year. And oh my God, Steve, if there is any year that people need to come to BoucherCon, it is next year. It's because it's the 50th anniversary Ooh. and the whole we the whole hotel is booked for this. There's that's it. There's only gonna be BoucherCon people there. And it is um, one of the uh, national BoucherCon people, because uh, each BoucherCon is different, right? It, it has a different volunteer force. Uh, it's almost like starting over every year because it, it's starting from scratch. It's in a different city every year, different team is heading it up. But there is sort of uh, those who have been working on this on a national level for years. So one of those women, she was there, she, lovely, lovely person. And she told me, she said, this is the best bar. 
I've ever seen for a Bowser Con setup. This is just <laughs> amazing. And she's like, these, these, this team has got it. They know what they're doing. This is going to be good. And so, yeah, if there's anybody out there who's debated back and forth whether they should, you know, come or not come, 2019 is the place to do it. Registrations are already open. Um, the rooms are already available. If you once you've registered, they'll give you the booking code so you can get discount on the room, the the group rate. And the reason I said that the bar is so amazing is because um, everything happens at the bar in the evening after everything's done. Doesn't mean everybody's getting sloshed, but that is the meeting place. And if you have a hotel where the bar is too small or where it's too um, too many walls or walling things off, it sort of uh, hinders that intermingling and, and it doesn't have the same vibe to it. But when it's just so big and so open and the staff, there's enough people working there and all that, it makes for an amazing time, even for those who don't drink. So that's why where the bar is and how it's located in the hotel is really important to how these conferences feel when all is said and done. Now, Taylor, I, I have to ask you this question before we get to our topic today. Isn't it a little cliched to say that the, the, all of the action in the, in the uh, conference takes place in the bar? Uh, maybe. <laughs> and I say I that because our topic today is cliches, and I was really hoping you were going to pick that up and run with it, but you fumbled like, to use the football analogy. I, I did, and, and I deliberately fumbled because I was like, well, do I speak the truth or do I just segue into this? <laughs> I know what he's doing here, and it's... Ah. A deliberate fumble. I like that. Yeah. All right, so we are talking about cliches today. This is something that Taylor wanted to talk about as a topic, uh, cliches in a couple of different areas, and I think she wants to start with some of the flack that she got in the, uh, from the original, uh, her first book, The Informationist. Well, because <laughs> I love talking about my mistakes. Um, <laughs> what I really wanted to do is talk about cliches in more than one sense, and it came about because of The Informationist, um, and... I, when I was writing The Informationist, I was so new to the world. I was so new to books. I, I didn't even know what a cliche was. I mean, I knew what the word meant, but I didn't know it in any practical sense. And so one of the most um, hurtful, I suppose, things that really affected me, uh, criticisms that I got, was that, you know, the book was riddled with cliches. And the reason that it hurt was because I didn't know what they were talking about. So, like, obviously, if I had known that I was writing cliches, I wouldn't have written them. But I didn't even know what what they were talking Like, what's the cliche in the book? Somebody point out the cliche in the book so that I know not to do this again. That was the, the frustration slash hurt, right? And this topic came to mind recently when I was reading a book that had um, a trope in it that, or you could call it a cliche, that is one of my most annoying things to see in a book. And I was like, oh my God, no, tell me this is not going to happen. Tell me it happened. So that got me <laughs> on the subject of, you know, this would be a really good topic for the show. And, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm particularly sensitive to this issue because of what happened to me when I was first starting out. But here's the thing. I may have been dumber than most people when it came to 
cliches and, and what they are and how to avoid them. But I'm clearly not the only one. I might have been the dumbest, but not the only dummy. Um, because even in books by people who absolutely should know better, you know, I've seen them in books for people who've graduated from MFA programs and, and whatnot. It, it makes me believe that cliches can be so ingrained in us, we're almost blind to them. So I wanted to talk about that, what cliches are and the different types of cliches and what you can do to avoid them and, and some of my pet peeves when it comes to cliches. Okay. How do you want to get this ball rolling? <laughs> okay. Um, let's start with the different types of cliches. At the, at the very, very bottom of this pyramid, I suppose, the most where you're going to get the bulk of your cliches are the similes, the metaphors, you know, and it, it's hard for me to just, I don't have a printed list of them in front of me. There are places you can go, like the most overused dialogue or, or whatever, but it's like, oh, it was a cut and dry situation. It's a black and white way of thinking. You know, those are cliches because they are shortcuts to the way we describe something, you know, get, grab the ball and run with it. So you're reading the story and going along and then, you know, you use a cliche as an example, it kind of, it steals your own voice and it's like um, a cheat. You're just falling back on super familiar things and that dulls the writing. And so there's that type of cliche, the, the very, the, the ones you find in a line editing type situation, which just kind of make your writing feel dumb because it took no creativity whatsoever to come up with that saying, because it's part of the cultural lexicon or whatever. The next type of cliches you get are character cliches. Um, these are, you know, the hooker with the heart of gold, the alcoholic detective. And they, they are cliches because they're just so overused that you see them so much. And so when they come up in your stories, they feel like, yeah, I've heard this all before. This is not new. This is not fresh. It's like you're regurgitating a TV show from the 80s or whatever. So there's that type of cliche. And then another type of cliche you can run up against is the, um, the scenario types. And the one that brought to mind that, that created this whole idea for this show to me was reading this book and there was someone who needed to speak to someone else to get information from them. And that person that had the information was like, no, no, I'm not going to talk to you right now. Come meet me at 10 o'clock. And I was like, oh, no, no, please don't do it. Don't, don't. Because inevitably in a thriller, that person is going to die before they're able to get the information that the main character needed. It, it's like 99% of the time. It, it, it's so annoying to me because it's so not original. And it's funny because as I say that, I, there is a scene in a book of mine, and I, I'm trying to be really careful not to do spoilers here because it's a book that is still coming, where it would appear that that cliche is also that I did it myself. But the difference is, the person that was providing information already gave all the information that they had. 
there was nothing more to be said just to discuss or whatever before whatever happens kicks into gear and and there whatever so there is the cliche and in in a thriller people ending up dead or something happening that separates the character from the person with the information all of that is part it's part of a thriller because you know it's these constant ticking clocks bad things happening or whatever so you can't maybe take the whole thing out completely but use a little creativity in how it's done which in my case was there's nothing more to be said the the elements are still there but there's no information that they're like oh man if we only had that information then we would know what to do here and then the whole book would have been saved you know like if if the character would have told the main character what it was they knew would that have been the end of the book right there would that have cut off all the excitement and the chases and the quest and the search if yes that is a cliche <laughs> you're 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 putting that in there specifically to try and ramp up the tension for the love of god please don't do it <laughs> <laughs> i was reading a book and i not because i wanted not because I wanted to read the book, but I, I'm, I'm reading this book because it's really popular, and I wanted to see if I could figure out why. Or it's, it's a, the first book in a series that's really popular. And you really have to give some grace, especially to indie writers, uh, with their first book because they tend to get better and better and better as a, as a popular series goes on. But this particular book, I mean, what you're describing is, is the scene that I just finished reading last night where I just kind of like, close the cover on my Kindle. It's like, I, I need to go read something else. And <laughs> there's this scene where these two guys that are, you know, pretty much cliched, badass characters, they have gotten themselves into this horrible situation. There's no way they could possibly get out, but there's what this one guy who can meet them, except he doesn't want to meet them somewhere. He wants to meet them in the dark up like 27 steps and so they're there, they're meeting with him, and he says, I've got everything that you need to get yourself out of this, but I didn't bring it. Here's the key. It's in a locker. And then he gets shot. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so it's exactly right? what you're saying. If, if he'd have been shot 10 seconds later and he could have said, this is the locker at the bus station and it's locker number 175, get this and you'll be home scot-free, then the book is over. And, but right. th we're at the halfway point here. But then creative, creatively speaking, you could give them all that information. And this is where the skill of being a storyteller comes in, is you find other non-cliché ways to throw those characters into situations that make it impossible. You have it where someone else also knew about the locker. And then there's a hunt to be able to trick those other people so you can get to the locker, whatever it is. You, it's the thing about cliches that ruins the writing is because it's cheating. It's lazy. Um, and that's what insulted me so bad or hurt my feelings so bad is I wasn't trying to be lazy. I thought I was being clever. I just didn't know that these things were overdone or, you know, they were what they were. Another one, in, and I'm not going to go into a huge list uh, because I want to talk a bit about how to avoid them, how to write around them, um, is the one last job. 
you know, so-and-so is a, a thief. He's been to, you know, prison. He's out now and he's trying to make his life better. And then these things come along and he's got to do this one last job. And here's, in my opinion, why that is such a cliche. And it's, to me, it's uh, laziness in the sense that we want to be able to root for somebody. And it's a whole lot easier to make a bad guy a good guy if he doesn't want to be a bad guy anymore. And that's where I think that one last job is, is here's this awful person who's done all these awful things, but he doesn't want to do them anymore. And he's turning his life around. But because of this situation, he kind of has to do this one more time. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's cheating. That just be honest. Give us the guy. <laughs> Let us decide if we like, give him some other reason that he's likable, you know, give him a dog, make him, make him a philanthropist. I don't know. But this whole, you know, it's, he's a good guy because I'm like, that's bullshit. Um, so that's another of my pet peeve tropes. And it's because of the laziness involved. And so now I want to talk a little bit about how to write your way around these types of things. And we'll start back at the bottom of the pyramid with these everyday um, situation, everyday things. Oh, God, I have no words today. The words are not coming out of my mouth. Um, the sayings that we use as shortcuts. So um, I'll use an example. This is the first thing that popped into my head in Liar's Paradox, which is coming out shortly, pre-order. Um, <laughs> there's a, the, the twins really think their mother is delusional. And in a society, we have this saying, you know, a tinfoil hat, right? Everybody knows what a tinfoil hat is. Um, and so rather than take the cliche and say a tinfoil hat, the character says, same tinfoil, different hat. So it's twist. It's it's a twist on the the cliche of a tinfoil hat, right? So anytime I come up against something like that, that that would be a saying that could be considered cliche, and I want to use it because it's easy, and I'm struggling to find the words to articulate it, and that cliche articulates it so well. I, f I try and find a unique take on that cliche. Um, Instead of saying it's black and white, finding a way to say, you know, it's black and blacker. Or that was another one. Um, at the beginning of Liar's Paradox, um, when there's, there's an, it starts out with an action scene. And he said, and it said, instead of saying he could do this the hard way or the easy way, it was the hard way or the harder way. So it, it, takes, it takes that common way of saying something and twisting it a little bit. And then not only does it not sound cliche, it sounds clever, but it takes creativity to be able to do that. And it takes time. And unless you're somebody who's really fast on your feet, which I am not a great 2020 hindsight, like two months back. <laughs> so for me, it, it, that's, it takes a lot of time to come up with that type of stuff. But it's what makes the writing stronger because it's not the same old, same old. So that's the technique, the A technique for writing around those, those basic cliches. And let me jump in here with a couple of comments because I, I've read Liar's Paradox and both those examples that you use stood out to me when I read them as memorable and 
clever, but I didn't think, oh, Taylor was really clever here. I thought, oh, Jack was really clever when he said this. Well, good. Yeah, because that's, <laughs> that's I mean, that's, that's what you're striving for. So you, you yes. mentioned clever, and you're not trying to make yourself as the author look clever. You're trying to look, make the characters look clever and more engaging and more interesting so you bond with them more. And as, as you said, one of these instances came up in the opening scene, and it was all part of just dragging you into the story and, and bonding you with this one character. Right. So yeah, that's really important. It's not about making you, the author, look clever. It's so that the reader's engaged and goes, ha, and 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 enjoys it. It's about read, reader enjoyment, reader engagement, right? And, and if they is, forget. This is an instance, I, I'm not going to use the term grit, but it, it sort of takes you out of the story, but in a good way, where it's like, oh, that was really clever. And now I want to read more closely than I was reading before. Well, cool. Then you know, it, it did what it was supposed to do. So now we move on to the idea of cliched characters, right? And what, sometimes you can't get away from the cliche. So like we've had discussions before about why are so many of these kick-ass characters damaged? And there's really only so many ways that they can be damaged you know, because humans, you know, that life, it's just the way that it is, right? And so you get a lot of alcoholic cops or a lot of, you know, people who feel guilty for having committed a murder or, no, feeling like they should have stopped a murder so they feel guilty like somehow it was on them. You know, those types of cliches, they're really hard to avoid because there's only so many things that can break a human. And it, well, it's variants on the same things. And it's usually those broken individuals who have that driving rage. You really don't see a lot of happy, well-adjusted people out there kicking other people's butts because they don't have a motive to do it, right? So those can be a little bit more difficult, but you can stay away from the... Um, Someone's, you know, the hooker with a heart of gold or whatever. Let's say you have to have a hooker, you know, well, maybe don't give her a heart of gold. Make her a little more complex. Give her uh, competing motivations. You know, she wants to help this person, but it's not like she really cares. It's that something else happened. You know, you, you can be creative in it and you can give the characters depth. So where even if it is the cliched character, as the person's reading it, it doesn't feel stereotyped. It doesn't feel like I've seen this a million times because you're giving them a different backstory. You're giving them something a little more unique. You're giving them a, a different kind of motivation and that keeps them from being cardboard and cut out. Um, and it, that's one that I can't say that I'm really an expert on because I don't, uh, to me, these, I'm, you know, I'm a third culture kid. Normal life is not normal to me. Normal life is exotic to me. So for me to write characters who grew up in strange situations and automatically speaking multiple languages and understanding different cultures, that to me is my cliche. And, and lucky for me, it's not for most other people. So I can imbue those, my books with those characters and they feel unique. Yay me. Um, so when when you do read books from authors who, you know, as as you're writing, as you're studying this and learning the craft, really look at the, the characters that you love or characters that speak to you and, and see how do they differ from the cliche? What is it that makes them different? What Because what makes them different from the cliches is going to make 
that character unique. It's going to be what you love about that character. So whatever it is that the author did that created these characters that speak to you, it that's craft. And, and you can learn from that just by examining and psychoanalyzing what it is you love about the characters that you love. For me, it was Jason Bourne. I just fell head over heels in love with Jason Bourne. It's what started me writing Vanessa Michael Monroe. And if there's anybody that you could say that she's crafted after, it's him, not a cut, copy, paste, but it was his, um, his intense fear of himself. Like he was dangerous to himself and he was trying to protect the people that he loved from himself. And that's what I literally stole from Robert Ludlum. So as you find characters that you love, examine what it is that makes them unique to you. And it will help guide you in creating characters that aren't just copy paste. I've seen that movie before. So the next big thing that we want to cover is the tropes, the, the big story tropes. But we are running out of time on this podcast, so we're going to bleed that over into next week, and you can come back and visit with us, and we're going to break down the, the big story issues like the ones that I told about, uh, spoke about where, you know, oh, please don't do that, and then the character gets shot before they have those types of things. We're going to cover those next week. All right. Thanks so much for being here with us this week. We will be back in your ears next Tuesday. See you guys next week.